0: Hello and welcome to I Migrate the podcast, the show where we'll be sharing the stories and experiences of people who have migrated to the UK from countries across the world. Whether they're escaping conflict in search of education opportunities or looking for adventure, they all share the similar challenge of having to assimilate to a new country and culture today's episode, I'll be talking to Rochelle about her experiences of moving from Barbados to the UK. Welcome Rochelle.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm Rochelle. I work here as a lecturer and I also have a, a consulting business that focuses on remote work. I've been in England for the last 13 years and I've lived across three different English cities. So Rochelle, that's
0: very interesting. So you've lived for thirteen years, three different cities.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think now being in the southwest, I've, I've had the experience of four cities because I live in Cheltenham, but I work in Bristol. So
0: yeah. So for someone who has never been to Barbados, mm. what can you tell them about?
1: oh, where to begin?
0: <laughs> it's just
1: beautiful. It's just a beautiful country. It is, it's very friendly. Um, I like to describe it as having a vibe. And you can only experience it from being there. So I had some guests that came in uh when I was there a while a few years back and I was trying to explain to them. I said it's very social and there's a vibe. I can't describe it, but you'll know it when you get there. Mm. So like they went and they traveled to different Caribbean islands, but then coming back to Barbados and experiencing it, they said the same thing. They said there's just something different about there. There's there's this vibe. There's something that just makes it more enjoyable. Oh. So beyond the scenery and all of that, it's just like just being there in that culture is, is just really nice. Like friendly people, like just very cultural, and yeah, I just love it.
0: Maybe I should think about uh, going to. You should. Everyone, <laughs> everyone
1: ride. needs to go to Barbados at some point.
0: So, what was life like uh, for you before you moved to the UK? What was life like?
1: Um, I think it was really enjoyable. So, I moved here when I was uh, twenty-four. And before moving here, I was a primary school teacher and I also worked with a bank before that. So my life really was finish school at 3 p.m., hit the gym (laughs) from 5 to 7, uh, and the gym was very sort of a socialite-ish sort of atmosphere. And then we went out after to like, like poetry events and like a lot of live events and jazz events. And yeah, a lot of partying on the weekend, a lot of partying during the week. <laughs> mm. um, so yeah, it was quite vibrant. And beach, beach, the beach is the foundation of, of, of everything. Oh. Sundays is beach, or sometimes you, you get stressed and you go to the beach after work in the middle of the week. So yeah, that was, that was life. That was oh, like fantastic.
0: That sounds really, really <laughs> good. So what caused you to make the decision to move?
1: So I wanted to do a master's in HR. So I had worked with a company and I was doing really well with the company there. I was interacting really well with their clients and also the employees. So then while although I was working in accounts, they asked me, they didn't have an HR department, but they asked me if I could start one. And I told them, well, I want to do my master's first and they offered to pay for it. But I told them well, I want to do it overseas, so their their fear was that I would go overseas, they would pay for it, and then I wouldn't return and they were probably justified because in the end, I told them, well, no, I really want to go overseas, I want the international experience, um so they took the offer back and I left, <laughs> but I think they were right because. I, I came to England and then I found other opportunities here. So I stayed. I opted to stay. But it was really the master's that made me want to come. Because at the time, there wasn't an HR master's in Barbados. There is now. But when I left, that was in 2009, they didn't have an HR degree.
0: So that was the main reason. So why did you choose the UK? Were there any other countries you looked at?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing for me was cost. So I was looking at a master's in Canada and in the US and the price was like a hundred thousand US for one university. Another university was about 90,000 US and a master's here at the time was like, I think my master's was about 11,000 or it might be, I might even be less than that um so the price was the main thing for me and the fact also that in the uk you do a master's in a year whereas if i went to those i was looking at a university called acadia and another one called concordia um, and university of toronto but their masters were two years so just as to me the cost and the fact that i would have an extra year on my life (laughs) that's how i saw it so i thought okay well maybe england is the best choice
0: and that would mean that you'd have to pay to you know if it's a 100,000 times 2 as years, 100, yeah, exactly. times 2. Yeah. Oh, that's expensive. Ridiculous. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Yeah. That is ridiculous. So, um just talking about the move, were there any significant difficulties when it came to moving to the UK? Um not initially.
1: I think I'm I'm really a, a, a person that plans a lot. So I, I had a, a Microsoft Word document with every step that I would take. And it was a, a logistical, a long logistical process in terms of getting certain approvals. I got the visa pretty easily. And I can say, thankfully, I've never had any visa issues in the UK and I've been here for 13 years. Um, but I think coming here, I think the biggest thing coming here was the first week I came to do the master's. I, so I got a student loan to do my master's and they gave me two checks, so one for tuition and one for living and accommodation. And I took the check to the accommodation place and they said I need to take it to the bank first and deposit it and blah, and then transfer it. And the lady in the office wrote on the check. I don't know why she did it i i told her i'm not i'm not sure if it's supposed to write on the check but she wrote on the check and made it void so when i took it to the bank the bank was like well we can't do anything with this it's, 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 it's tainted so then i was in the uk with not a cent to my name <laughs> because i left my savings back in barbados because i had i basically had just a, a few maybe about 100 pounds if so much So I was in the UK for the first time with no money to pay for my accommodation. My tuition money didn't have that because this lady wrote on the check. So then for the first week. I didn't have anything. (laughs) So
2: what did you do? I
1: almost cried when the lady in the bank told me. And I think she could see the tears welling out in my eye. And I can only describe it as divine intervention. I didn't break down crying in that place. But what she said she would do is that she'll open an account for me. She said, you just need one pound. Open an account with a pound. And then when the new check comes, they'll put it in. Luckily, I had a friend here from Barbados. Not a very close friend, more like a friend of a friend. So my friend in Barbados called him and said, well, hey, this is what happened. Can you sort her out? So he came and he bought me pillows and sheets and got me settled. And I went to speak to the accommodation people and they agreed to let me stay since it was their fault, at least until the check came. So yeah, yeah, I think that was a bit of a scary adjustment. But beyond that, I think it went relatively smoothly.
0: Oh, that is, yeah, That is <laughs> those are the moments you just think, okay, now I have no, more, no <sighs> money. Yeah. What next?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I was, my
0: heart skipped a beat when she said the check was void. So what were the stark differences between the UK and Barbados that you noticed when you first go here? Oh my goodness,
1: it's, it's chalk and cheese. The culture is so different. I think one of the things about the UK's let me say Barbados, for example, the culture in Barbados is more vibrant and people are more direct. So I think it's the directness, the lack of directness here that I notice the most. Because for example, I find like just in that first year, sometimes people would be saying nice things, but not being nice. (laughs) So I think just getting used to understanding that when people say certain things and hold it, just learn to read people better. I think, I don't know how to describe it, just an indirectness. sometimes people people don't say what they mean Mm -hmm. or it's like sometimes there's a bit of a passive aggressiveness to it but one of the things i did like was i always say the uk is so good at telling you no and making you feel good about it (laughs) so for example i went to a place to use the bathroom and it was a restaurant and they said i can use the bathroom there but the lady was like oh well You know, I'm so so sorry. I mean, if it were up to me, I would let you use it. But unfortunately, because of our policy, we can't. And I'm I'm really, really sorry. But if you just go down the road and you go around the corner, you'll find a bathroom there. And if you go there, you'll get it just in time. Like she was so, so nice. Mm. Although she was telling me no. Mm. (laughs) So I think like in Barbados is the opposite. Someone just said no, you can't use the bathroom here, you're not a customer.
0: I'm really blunt. (laughs) No, no, no. And that's something I've I've also struggled with in this. You know, it's like, why can't you just tell me what you mean? Yeah. And then we don't have to have this conversation. Yeah. Then I can just go off and do the next thing. Exactly. Uh, But what do you mean about vibrancy? Because you've also Mm. said that there's the vibrancy and the directness. What do you mean about the vibrancy?
1: I think just how people convey stories and how they convey their feelings and how they express themselves is, is just... They live out loud almost. Whereas in the UK, one of the things I used to marvel at is someone would say to me, Oh, I am gutted. And to me, to say that you're gutted is a strong emotion. When you use the word that you're gutting is I'm thinking like in biblical terms, gnashing of teeth and wailing, (laughs) you know, like heart-wrenching, something horrible has happened. But someone's looking at me with a straight face and saying, oh i'm gutted this sandwich isn't to my liking like what like so so, so sometimes like or even if they did feel the strong emotion they'd be just oh that's not ideal is it
0: there's no expression is yeah. it because that's something that we really struggle with not not even yeah when i'm with my friends and we're talking mm-hmm. yeah and my daughter's oh but what you guys were arguing and i'm just thinking. No, we are just talking. Exactly. It's the excitement of the conversation. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. a
1: couple times here I got accused of being aggressive because I was being really expressive and I had to say to people, I wasn't arguing, I was just expressing myself. Mm -hmm. So I think in Barbados it's like that. If somebody tells you a story, they come alive, they're laughing loud, their hands flying all Mm -hmm. over, Mm -hmm. like there's all these intonations in their Mm -hmm. voice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's just... It's just vibrant mm. and here everything's just a bit i don't know very very mm. mellow almost mm. yeah mm. so mm. sometimes that can be a good thing but i think i i miss like from home i, I do like that I, when i go back i love to hear somebody tell a story
0: mm. because mm. It's,
1: it's just mm. different
0: was that any person Organizations that help you to assimilate when you first came to the UK, because you said you you've lived in different cities, yeah, and just to give our listeners mm-hmm. the different cities you've uh, lived in, what are the stark differences mm. that you noticed? Yeah, having lived in the same country, yeah, but actually having different experiences.
1: It's interesting because as a whole, it's one of the things I like about the UK in that. You can go from county to county and it feels almost like you've gone from country to country. UK is such a a diverse place in terms of the lifestyles and the the differences in the cities and the places that people live. When I first moved into Leicester, the university was really good, actually. They had an international week, a week for activities for international students. So I remember I can't remember the guy's full name. I know it was Andy something, but he was amazing. It was a guy that was in the international department, the welfare department, and he took such good care of us. He organized tours. He made sure we were settled into our accommodation. He checked up on us. So I remember when I left the university, I got him a little gift and he was so surprised, but he really, really made the experience. A good one because he really looked out for us and he made sure that we didn't feel alone and that we met with other international students. So that was nice. I think coming into the UK via Leicester was a really good experience because Leicester was diverse. It was a student town and coming as a student as well was an advantage because you you, you have another population to come into. You already know this group. You're on a course with them and it's very social. When I, I, I was in Leicester for about four or five years, even after I finished the master's, I stayed to do a PhD. The PhD was a bit lonelier because then your friends leave, but then you make new friends. So I still enjoyed Leicester because my crowd just changed. Like you just going into a different phase of life. Moving to Lincoln, my first full-time job was as a, a lecturer in Lincoln, University of Lincoln. That was a culture shock. That was my real first UK culture shock five years after moving to the UK. And I think the major reason was because Lincoln was an extremely white place. And I experienced so much racism there. Like from day one, there was just racism. I remember I was going down the street and I was asking. I was looking for a place and I was about to ask someone for directions. I could see these two people coming towards me they started to frown and then they started to give me like a very wide berth and actually step off the pavement into the road to walk around me. And me at the time, I, I, not so much now, now I, I, I really don't care. But at the time I was the type of person that would challenge those people. So at the time I said to them, excuse me, excuse me, um, <laughs> I'm trying to find this store. Can you help me find this store? And then all of a sudden they became very friendly. We were having a little chat on the sidewalk. And then they said to me, your English is so good though. Why do you speak English so good? And I'm like, I do speak English in my country, you know? Hmm. (laughs) So like, just from, you always had those instances in England. It was either um, that form of racism. I think I was telling you earlier, like, I experienced so much racism in England, I started to give the different types of racism different names. So from the very openly aggressive racism, to the microaggressions, to the polite ignorance, to the tokenism, mm. the people that would just come up to you and say, oh, can I get a photo with you? So it was ridiculous. One story I got dragged out, and they accused me of stealing a pair of shoes. And it was I was in this store, I was in New Look. I had a pair of shoes that I bought on holiday and I was replacing them, so I bought the exact same shoes, had a really nice long chat with the customer service agent and I told her that I'm replacing these shoes, I'm switching them, blah blah, take the tags off, blah, she did. I don't know if the other person then see all of that happen at the counter, but when I left the store, I went up the escalator, out into the mall and walked into the three store, the phone store. And as I was walking in on Saturday, the store is full. These two security guards and a lady comes up behind me and say, excuse me, excuse me. You need to come with us. And they held my hands. They actually held me and directed me out the store. And I'm like, like what's going on? What's going on here? Those shoes that you have on, can I see the bill for them? That's what they said. I was like, okay. So then I was new to the city, so I wasn't about to be disruptive. And plus, I'm a lecturer in the city and it's a small city um so i didn't want to cause a scene or anything so i said okay so i gave them the bill after i gave them the bill they stood there for five more minutes scrutinizing the bill i don't know if it was out of shame or what they just didn't want to admit they were wrong so i finally said is there a problem here and they were like this lady says she saw you walk out to the store with shoes and I'm like because i bought a new pair of shoes in the store you have the bill in front of you oh okay you can go now no apology nothing and it was three of them. I'm one person, and one female. How, how did that How did that make you feel? At the time, I think I handled it quite well. I think I got angrier after I left. Like when I walked back into three, I just kind of, I think my mind was so elsewhere that I didn't quite study the full situation. So I walked back into three and I just, everyone was staring at me when I walked back in. And I just kind of pulled a face like, hmm, what was that? And everyone just laughed and then settled back into what they were doing. And then when I got to the counter, the lady was like, that was absolutely despicable what they just did. So I said, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to deal with it when I, get, when I get home. So I went home, I went on Twitter, I went on New Look's official accounts, I went everywhere and blasted the event. Uh, I sent them an email, I threatened legal action, and they sent me, I think, like a few hundred pounds as a voucher and apology and said that they're going to train their staff and they're replacing this person and that person. But I made us think about it online. Um, so that's how I handled it at the time. I wasn't I think in the moment I wasn't outraged because I didn't quite understand what was going on at the time. And I wanted to kind of keep cool because yeah, I didn't want any trouble. It was a new city and I knew like my students could be in that mall or whatever the case. So yeah, there was just so much of it. Another time someone tried to rob me at the train station and chased me, and then they couldn't like when I ran out and I had to literally jump into a taxi, they're shouting behind me, FA Negro, FA Negro! So it's like the racism in in Lincoln was just. A, I mean, I could go on. Like I have so many stories of racism in Lincoln. So that was the real UK culture shock for me. And then I think I had a lot of apprehension because of that moving to Cheltenham, because Cheltenham is similar demographic ninety many maybe ninety six or more percent white. But Cheltenham was a, a very pleasant surprise. I found Cheltenham to be very friendly. I think a big part of the reason is people are more traveled here and more exposed, whereas Lincoln is very rural. And Lincoln apparently was where the majority of the Brexit vote came from as well. Um, so <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> but Cheltenham was just a lot friendlier. And I find people were just, I, would, I called it Twilight Zone friendly. I used to mm-hmm. like joke that it was Twilight Zone friendly. Mm. Because I had this time where I walked out of my house. Actually, I moved in at 11 p.m. Mm. And the property estate manager, they left the key with the hotel across the road. Mm. So at 11 p.m., I walked into this hotel. And they were so welcoming and nice to say, "Here, Welcome, welcome to the city. And they, they gave me everything I needed. Moved in thinking the neighbors would be pissed off at all this banging at 11 p.m. and all this banging going on. Neighbor comes out. Welcome, welcome. So good to have you. I'm glad you're finally ready. She, she adjusted my heating. And all of that. The next day, I took out loads of garbage and I went to the far end of the building to take out the garbage because it's one of these long terrace buildings, these imperial type buildings. And this lady was just passing with her dog and she stopped to help me take out my trash and sort my recycling. I was like, and then I would go for a run and people are saying, morning! So I don't know, it, it's strange to actually have the experience of living in a country where that behavior becomes odd because i was mm. so used to the racism in lincoln in four years mm. that that behavior like people being nice to me mm. in, in england became odd
2: mm.
1: so it was amazing and i remember my partner at the time he was like why are you surprised it? i think it's really sad that you're surprised by this behavior i said <laughs> mm. you know why <laughs> you mm. know why mm. so yeah it's it's been very different bristol as well has been an experience And I think my experience of Bristol, I don't have that much because I kind of just dip in and dip out of Bristol. I Mm -hmm. just go there to work and come back.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But Bristol was a city that I was quite disappointed with just Mm -hmm. because... Bristol was where I was expecting it to be friendly because it's super multicultural. So when I heard I got the job in Bristol, I was so happy because I was like, yes, moving to a multicultural part of the land and it's going to be very hipster and they're all like more liberal there and whatnot, you know, more diverse. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And then a month after moving to Bristol, I had a really traumatizingly if that's the word racist incident oh no that happened at the university that they had to call the police in I had to change offices they had to put cameras in it was it was horrible
0: at the university
1: yeah yeah so I wasn't at work one day I was working from home when I first came I was working at the university probably twice a week I didn't have a lot of teaching and what happened was while i was away while i was at home i got an email from my boss saying you need to come in tomorrow this thing has happened and then a colleague in the office has said this thing has happened we need he he didn't say what he just says something has happened and i've called the police i'm like oh this is very ominous and she wants me to come in and talk about this thing so i get there i went in the next day i wasn't supposed to be there the next day but i went in for this meeting. Uh, Someone from a charity is there, a racist charity is there, a diversity charity, I should say. The dean is there, <laughs> dean is the thing. Uh, my department head is there and someone else is there, some other head. And I'm like, what's all this? What's, what's all this about? And they said that while I was out, someone slipped a blade, a knife blade under my office door and wrote the word nigger on my office door. So when I heard that, at first I was trying to keep it together. I was like, whoa, (laughs) like I've only been here a few weeks. And first of all, it's I'm on the sixth floor. I hardly have any interaction with the students. The building is a maze. My office isn't the easiest place to find. I'm the only black person in the office. So at the time I was a bit, I was shocked, but then a bit annoyed at the response because they were trying to argue. It wasn't aimed at me. I'm like, (laughs) there are no other black people in this office. What are you telling me? So at the time they tried to play it down, but at the same time, in saying that I, I, I got to be fair to them, they did take it quite seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they were trying to make, they could tell I was quite shocked and reacted to what mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. So they were trying to, I guess, make me feel not as bad. But then, yeah, I just, I just burst into tears. I couldn't believe that this thing happened. But it kind of gave me this apprehension about being in Bristol. Because mm-hmm. although they put this, all these measures in place... They never caught the person that did it. They mm. said maybe it was a person, a member of the public, and that is a bit difficult for me to believe. Mm. Just because, again, mm. I, I'm on the sixth floor. Mm. You gotta take all these corridors, mm. and I'm in a corner. Mm. You have to mm. know that I'm there, mm. you know. Mm. And I wasn't there the day, so no one could have followed me and then decided, okay, she's in there. I'm gonna make sure she knows. So it, was, it was it was just strange. So I think Bristol as an experience, because of that, I have not been very keen to fully explore Bristol as a city. Mm. And then I went there as well to get my visa sorted during the the time of George Floyd, which kind of raised a lot of issues for me as well because of those experiences. Mm. But I went there and while I was there, it was after they pulled on the statue, I had to like walk through and cycle through these, what do you call them? not the anti-racist protests, Mm. but the the other, the EDL, Mm. the EDL type of protests. So Mm. while I was there, I saw the anti-racist, but then all the people came out defending the monuments. So then I was through the city and having to go through and pass through these crowds that were saying things like, immigrants go home, no blacks, and these sort of things. So it was, Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's like those sort of experiences of, I like Bristol, I like the idea of Bristol, I should say. Uh, I like parts of it, but I never want to spend too much time there just because of those experiences and a friend had warned me she's from poland we went to university together and i told her i'm so excited this was before all this happened i told her i'm so excited to be in bristol finally somewhere more multicultural coming from lincoln and she said well people think it's multicultural but it's not <laughs> and i said what do you mean she said well what you find in bristol is that she said she's polish she finds our polish and eastern European people friends hang out together then you have this group of ethnicities hanging out together or this con- group of country groups hanging out together. So there's a lot of cultures in Bristol, but they tend to, to hang in their own circles. And I've certainly seen it at the university. Well, not Bristol's not the only place I've seen it. I've seen that at other universities, too. But she was saying also it was some of it. You go in some places and she's experienced very heavy racism in some places in Bristol. And she said a lot of it was to do with the tensions around Edward Colston. That's what she said at the time. She said at the time there was quite a big debate about it. And this was pre-George Floyd. This was pre the event I described, which happened in 2019. Mm. So she had already picked up that there was some level of racial tension. And at the time, I didn't know what she meant. Mm. And then Mm. that happened. Mm. And then when other colleagues came to my office to kind of support me after that, or express their support they then describe incidents too i had an italian colleague that came and said he's sorry that this thing has happened and he said when during the world cup football he had a similar experience where he put an italian flag in his window just a very small sticker and he said the next door they came they found painted across their door wog the word wog and i never knew what that meant and he said it meant dirty southern italian or dirty southern european or something like that he said it meant but he said, yeah, they had to call the police and do all this stuff. So, like, people started describing those incidents happening in Bristol, a city that I thought was uber multicultural and uber woke, quote-unquote. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's made me worry. I think in the UK, it's very hard to escape racism. Mm. Mm. So I think coming into Leicester, I was very lucky Mm. because as a student, I think I was shielded from a lot of those things Mm. because, one, I was hanging out primarily with other students, Mm. other international students. Mm. You had the university. We were in a university setting, which in its own is very diverse. People are open to to new experiences. Mm. But then experiencing England as a person living and working here, Mm. I think I started to see a lot more things happening. Mm. Mm. So... In Leicester, I didn't experience it as much. I think Lincoln was was the place where I really, really saw it come out.
0: Yeah. You said about the experiences within the university and the different Mm -hmm. places. Is there any specific community that you found other migrants? You know, there's a student that embraced you in Leicester, but as a lecturer... Were there any other communities that you, you engaged with, mm. uh, whether in Lincoln or uh, yeah. any other of the places that you've lived at?
1: Yeah, I found in, in Lincoln, mm. mainly who I hung out with was other international lecturers. Mm. And it was one of the things that we noticed as well. Mm. Like always when we go out and we hang out or when we were invited out, we were invited out by other mm. international lecturers and English lecturers went out together. So there was still even there a divide. And I Mm -hmm. found myself being in the category of international lecturers or in the internationals. Mm. (laughs) I even had that on my master's because I was telling you I was referred to as one of the internationals. So, yeah, I usually found community in other migrants. And sometimes it didn't matter what the nationality was, Mm. but just that they were were migrants as well. So I think, like, even my 13 years of being here... Mm. The majority of my friends are still persons that are international. Mm -hmm. Cheltenham is probably where I've met the most English people (laughs) (laughs) since. Mm -hmm. since, And I've only been here for the last three years. But I do find it to be very friendly. And I think through meetup and Mm -hmm. just going to different events. Mm -hmm. It's it's where I've met the most English people. And they've been extremely nice and extremely friendly. But previously, most of my my groups, like when I was in Leicester as well, Mm as an adult after the university Mm -hmm. like most of my friends were past university students that we settled there we started to work Mm -hmm. but then we moved away but even my close friends now are still those Mm -hmm. students that moved away and we come together Mm -hmm. and meet up and share just share a company and that sort of thing
0: were were there any cultural differences or misunderstandings occur in your past few years when you came to be here (laughs) so many
1: (laughs) (laughs) Ah, so the language (laughs) (laughs) I made so many fouls with the language. So I learned that pants are underwear and they're not trousers. <laughs> and I learned that from volunteering. I was volunteering with a church choir a Saturday and we were out and we we're in a community, a deprived community and we were singing on the lawn and the sun was blazing hot. So this lady next to me she said, like, "Oh, the sun is hot, isn't it?" And I say, yeah, man, it's so hot, it's burning through my pants. And everybody just stopped what they're doing and looked around at me. I was like, what's happened? And they said, you mean your trousers? I said, yeah, my pants. And they said, no, those aren't your pants. Your pants are your underwear. So I was like, oh, okay. And then, yeah, there were other, there were a lot of other words that I didn't know. Some I can't say on this podcast, mm. but that I discovered <laughs> weren't what, quite what I thought they were. So there was that. And then there was also the small talk, the small talk was interesting. That was a learning curve for me. So I would go to the bank and they would just, the ladies, the, the people at the till, would just form a little conversation while they're trying to serve me. Mm. But I found the conversation so intrusive. Mm. So here I am meeting this total stranger. Mm. No, this is how I saw it. Mm. Deposited my money. So I went to this lady, for example. I, I'm withdrawing a 100 pounds or something and then I'm heading to town. And back in the time when we used to use more money. <laughs> mm. And withdrawing my money. And she, while she's withdrawing the money, she says, oh, are you going to buy anything nice? And I snapped at her. I was like, no. <laughs> and she couldn't figure out why I snapped. In my mind, I was like, how dare this stranger ask me what I'm going to do with my money? <laughs> and that's what I was thinking. it was like, the gall, the gall of this lady. No manners at all. But in her mind, she was thinking, well, she's just making small talk mm. while trying to get something done. Mm. So I think that was a learning curve because sometimes I find you can meet random people. Like sometimes I'd be in the post office and Someone would strike a conversation. And by the end of the conversation, I know how many kids they have, mm. how many times they were divorced, who, t- who got bet- better out the alimony, mm. whatever. I know it all. Mm. But then I'll never see this person again. I'll mm. never hear from this person mm. again. Mm. So yeah, I think that to me was definitely a culture shock. But also, while this has probably become more normal now with COVID, but with Barb- like in the past in Barbados, you can you typically you can go to someone's house and just rock up just knock and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe sometimes they let you in well most of the time they'll let you in Mm -hmm. it turns it might even turn into a party or what Mm -hmm. we call like a line which is just a social gathering Mm -hmm. so someone shows up to your house you bring drinks everyone socializes at one point someone did that at my place they turned up like a few days before i was getting married Mm -hmm. uh my family just met them i just met them and a few days later, they were at our wedding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, that was the culture. Mm-hmm. But here, that you will know people, that tell you all their personal business, but you can't just like you probably won't get invited to their house like mm-hmm. anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But then always also. You can't just go up to somebody's door and knock mm, and, mm. and say, hey, you have to make sure mm. you plan it. It has to be planned like way in advance mm. and, and that sort of stuff. Mm. Although I'm finding out no, it depends on who the person is. Mm. But I found that a lot with uh, my colleagues in Lincoln where they express a lot in terms of like you share all these personal details, mm. but mm. then your relationship ends in the workplace. There is no, unless it's the international lecturers, then we go out, we come to each other's house, we do all that. Of the English lecturers, you know their full life story, you know everything about them, but you're still not nece- necessarily a friend. <laughs> mm, mm. So it's it's kind of when they leave the office, you see to this sometimes, mm. or maybe if yes, yeah, this is just via like Facebook messaging or whatever. Mm, so mm. I think understanding that dynamic was was different as well.
2: Mm,
1: mm. So yeah, I think I think those were the main. Culture shots that, and just trying to understand what people mean when when they say stuff, because mm, it's mm. it's not a direct culture. And all of my other friends say this from South Africa, from different countries. They mm. always say the same thing: it's mm. it's not a very direct culture. You you never know where you stand. You mm. it's kind
0: of like you have to figure it out. And that is very confusing, especially if you are yeah. somebody who comes from a culture that you just tell straight up. Yeah. That this is what I mean. Yeah. Like, why can't you just use the right English word to yeah. say what you want? Yeah. Rather than, you know, trying to cover it. You know? Uh? Yeah. And I had that I had that with a friend. I had to tell
1: her about it because it really used to upset me where she would be interacting mm. with colleagues of ours. We'd bump into them in the corridor. They're having a nice friendly chat and catch up. And me and her, by that time, she was a PhD student. We were best friends. Mm. So she'd have a great chat with this person. They're laughing. They're smacking her on the back. And I'm thinking, oh, she's so amazing forming these deep connections Mm. so soon. Mm. Mm. And then she gets Mm. around the corridor and it's like, oh, that person has such horrible breath. Or just say something Mm. really horrible against the person. I was like, but you were just literally being nice to that person. Exactly. Yeah. Once a friend of mine was going out and she was wearing these stockings that I thought, Oh, they didn't quite suit her. Mm. And where we were going, they were a bit racy. They looked mm. a bit racy for where we were going. Mm. And I said to her, um, Steph, I'm not sure if you want to wear those stockings tonight, I think. Mm. And then they're not making your outfit work. I don't think they, they quite suit you. Mm. And she said, oh, really? Okay, maybe I'll try this one on instead. And she put on a different pair. And it mm. looked, to me, it looked much nicer. Mm. And after we went out, our friends kind of pulled me back on the street and said, oh, my gosh, Rachel, I'm so glad you said something. It looked absolutely awful, but I, I, I wouldn't have told her. I was like, but why
0: not? Exactly, exactly. Why would you? You would I let mean, your friend I mean, go yeah, like yeah, for me, that's some of the... You know, I've lived here for over 30 years now, but mm. I still struggle with things like that. Mm. Even uh, the language, you know. Why can't you mm. just tell me what you mean? If you don't want to do it, why can't you just tell me you don't want to do it? Yeah. And we know where we stand. I do yeah. struggle with things like that. I
1: think it's the kind mm. of... Um, mm. I'm constantly hearing England described as a as a polite culture. Mm, I think mm. I think sometimes it's, it's being afraid of offending or mm, mm. or whatever the case. And mm. I think there's a good and a bad to that because mm. I began to appreciate it. You know, like here, I am comfortable here if I put on weight. Mm. In Barbados, if I put on weight well, now I and I just don't care. Mm. But before, <laughs> like if I put on weight, you go home and people are so direct. It's like you're not allowed to so for example i went back to my church and this lady i haven't seen in a while Mm. i said hey it's so nice to see you i haven't seen you in forever Mm. you have put on weight (laughs) that's what she said i said yeah i gained a little pounds but i'll lose it no biggie anyhow how's your kids I can see the extra weight in your face and in your arms like really direct mm-hmm. so
0: like so you could appreciate yeah there's, there's a good and a bad because over
1: here maybe someone will say something but it's not mm. so much a problem or maybe mm. they don't there's no need to say mm. something mm. sometimes mm. you go to, to uh, in barbados if you put on something that don't look good you mm. could pass the street and someone would say, my friend, that looks stink. Mm. You look <laughs> awful, you know? <laughs> so I think mm. in, in many ways, sometimes the subtlety, mm. yeah, it's, it's tricky, but it can be a blessing at other times, <laughs> at other times as well.
0: Mm. Do you plan to make UK your home having experiences all this, you know, or, mm. you know, having lived here for 13 years? Um, I think I'm eager to
1: go back. And I think I'll probably be looking to move back. Yeah, in the, in the future. Just because, I don't know, the UK doesn't feel like home for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that is just, that might just be my own personal experience. I can't speak for other people. Mm. Um, other, let's see, per- persons that migrated. Mm. But the UK for me, I never feel fully at home here. I think one, because I feel like my heart is still in Barbados mm. and I'm tied to that mm. location. Mm. I miss my family and my friends there, mm. but just also the atmosphere mm. is so good and therapeutic for me. Mm. Just having the sea nearby is, mm. is really important to me. Mm. And I never realized how attached I was to it before moving. Mm. So there's that. And I find in England, sometimes like as an immigrant, sometimes you still feel like you're on the peripheral. Mm. like you don't feel like you quite fit mm. Mm. and I've been here for 13 years and yes I go out with people yes it's polite and whatnot but still I don't always feel like I fit and I think maybe it might have just been the places that I found jobs are settled in the UK mm. maybe if I were in different places the experiences would be different I always find myself in places where there's not much of a community for. Mm. Mm. let's say for example Caribbean people
2: mm.
1: or even sometimes non-white people so I think I think one that's a part of it but it's not even just about whether whether or not a person is white I think for me is I miss the Caribbean culture and I miss mm. having those communities around me mm. in England I feel like even in Cheltenham Cheltenham is very friendly
2: mm.
1: Cheltenham is a great place to live I really love living here but I still feel like I'm constantly waiting on something. Almost like if I'm in an airport hotel, mm. like I'm waiting to move on. Mm. So it mm. doesn't, I don't quite feel fully settled. And I feel that's just because I will only feel settled back in the
0: Caribbean. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to share about your migration stories?
1: Um, I can't think of anything else. Mm. <laughs> Not, nothing else that I haven't already
0: shared comes to mind. What about if you had to think, let's say your younger self, having moved, having mm. lived here, having done you know, all mm. the experiences you've had, yeah. if you were to speak to a younger self, what would you say?
1: Ah, that's interesting. I'm usually a person to not have any regrets regardless of my experiences mm. because I really strongly believe in the butterfly effect. Mm. <laughs> mm. So I believe even if I wish that I didn't experience The bad situations that I did, if I didn't experience those, it might mean that I'm also erasing some of the good experiences that I did. I think to my younger self, I might have wanted to maybe move in a place that had more of community, more Mm -hmm. of a, let's say, a Caribbean community, a Mm Bajan community even. Mm -hmm. But I think in moving to the places that I've moved, I've met some really... Amazing and interesting people mm. and had some very interesting experiences, like mm. Lincoln, for all its like with all the racism and everything, the university there mm. I met some really great people there. I did some great projects there that took me all over the world, so to regret those experiences would be to cancel out a lot of other really good things. so if I had to do it all over again, I don't think I would change it oh, okay. and maybe I would be more knowledgeable in certain things and mm. care less mm. about certain things. Maybe some, some things would have impacted me less. Mm. But I think even all of the negative things I experienced were, were lessons and I learned from them. So mm. Mm. yeah, I, 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 I don't regret in that sense.
0: And how can people follow your work and find out more about you?
1: So you can find me on LinkedIn as Dr. Rochelle Haynes. I have a podcast called Remotely Speaking Up, so I, where I deal with everything to do with remote work and digital transformation. And yeah, I'm usually on Instagram as well as Remotely Speaking Up, R.R. Haynes.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Rochelle Haynes. And it's been really great to speak to you and really understand your migration stories. And I hope you come back and share (laughs) with us again. It's been really, really nice to get to understand all that, you know, you've gone through.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me and, and for giving me a platform to share.
0: Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to I Migrate, the podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share with a friend or subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can even write a review. Thanks and we'll see you next episode. I Migrate, the podcast is hosted by Florence Nusamo. It is produced by Tyra at FOSS Creative Studio and is brought to you by Lives of Colour.